irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. You can find me online through nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy. From there, you can book sessions online with me, either in person at my New Orleans or Los Angeles office location via phone, Skype, or FaceTime. You can listen to archived episodes of this show and subscribe to this show via iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. There are links at NOLA Therapy. And if you enjoy what you please become a patron and support this show through my campaign at patreon.com forward slash Lisa Tahir. There's a link as well at NOLA Therapy with an introductory video. So today I'm going to bring on in just a few moments, Dr. Melissa Richmond. She is a doctor of psychology as well as a licensed clinical social worker. She's also a diplomat of the American Psychotherapy Association. And today we're going to talk about a lot of things. Most importantly, her perspective of practice, which her mission is about psychotherapy being a relationship. And she bears witness to her patient's narrative by creating emotional safety to help her patients achieve insight, build trust, and and get to a place of psychological and emotional well-being seeing the context of this relationship in terms of a corrective relational partner. Dr. Richmond also had a, an internet-based radio show called Shrink Wrap in the past, which I'm going to ask her about, and is a contributor to E! True Hollywood Story. Welcome, Dr. Richmond. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be on. How are you today? I am good. It's nice to have a break from my practice and to share this experience with you and talk to another therapist. Sometimes it gets yeah. kind of isolating in uh, practicing 10 hours of patients a day. And I think in private practice, especially where we're moving from, from one person to the next and in other stuff and taking some time out to check in with ourselves, I think is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I try to do that in between my hours, um, but this is really a pleasure and I appreciate you asking me to be on. You're welcome. It's a pleasure for me as well. And I'm curious, where would you like to start in talking about things today? Um, well, I think we first should maybe recognize what's going on in the world and what just happened in Barcelona. And I know that that's yes. everybody's, you know, thought process today. And I know there's just more and more chaos happening. So I just want to speak to that and um, maybe we want to kind of talk about that. I know it's certainly present for patients every day. Um, certainly those that are not fans of what's happening in our presidential, you know, um, office right now. And, and I know everybody's yeah. pretty, pretty preoccupied. It's quite a dysregulated time right now. It is in a time of fear and uncertainty, and my clients are coming in feeling really um, just fearful in general and, and kind of like generalized anxiety and where do I fit and how do I maneuver in life. I wonder if you're having a similar experience in your work. You know, it is. It, it, this moment is so big for um, people, um, and it kind of takes them out of the, the mundane stuff that sometimes people are working through and, and spend a lot of time talking about how unsafe people actually really feel right now. I certainly don't speak to it politically. You know, I think this, this was going on pre-Trump, but I think it's, it's a much more kind of exacerbated time. It's a much more extreme time. It's a dysregulated time time. I think there's incredible recklessness going on um, and carelessness. And I think people are just 
you know, incredibly porous and they just feel unsafe. And, you know, yeah. at this time in our life in 2017, it's kind of remarkable that these are the conversations we're having and that, you know, terrorism and people driving over each other is kind of the standard of practice right now. And it's, it's kind of appalling, yeah. really. So people have generalized anxiety, they have, you know, they're depressed, they feel frightened, and, you know, it, it's just another avenue to kind of put some of their deeper issues into a, a focus, you know, on the political world. I know with me, I sometimes watch the news way too much, and I can't seem to turn it off. <laughs> right. And, and I think the state of mind that people are in triggers from a sense of helplessness and confusion, a lot of anger, and that fight or flight um, kind of positioning, and so I think yeah. the the angry component it just makes things worse because it, it's hard to sit back and respond instead of react because of yeah. all the emotion going on around these events that are so so horrific. You know, we we look to the president, I suppose, certainly. You know, as as like what we do is a corrective relational partner, really, like mm -hmm. um, in our world to kind of create a foundation, uh, a calm, a structure, um, you know, holding the highest office. And I think what's going on uh, certainly is it triggers, you know, much, much bigger discussion that people, people feel so angry that there's nobody there to make them feel safe. And, you know, on such a global stage, I, I think it's appropriate to feel the kind of anxiety everybody feels, um, that there's no kind of accountability and there's no rule of law. And I think for, for, for all of us that if there are no boundaries and there is no rule of law and there is no structure, people feel completely out of control. And then it triggers the gamut of symptoms, you know, regardless of the yes. real cause, this is a huge stressor that is that is making, you know, at least people that I see pretty, pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And when I, when I think even of the perspective you work from with psychotherapy being a relationship and our president representing in some terms, kind of the, the parents of our country right. and to right. see a president of our country act in ways and say things that are so jarring to our sense of well-being is destabilizing, just like growing up in our family of origin when a, right. a parent Absolutely. role model did such a thing. Well, I think there, uh, that's absolutely true. And I think the, the kind of defiance and, you know, what appears to be, I certainly don't know him, so I can't really speak to it, but there's a, a malignancy about this. And I think it's, it, as a parent, it's perpetuating a message that it's okay to, you know, act out. It's okay to be extreme. It's okay to not have a rule of law and the disrespect and the entitlement is just, it really, it's, it's a big problem. Um, Politico yeah. last night on the news talked about it was a, it was an interesting saying that you know Trump chooses fighting over healing, and you know obviously I think there's a lot more going on um, you know under underneath um, you know his personality, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, right, right. It, it's it's really a, a, I think a, a really sad sad and scary time, and I hope somebody gets control of it. <laughs> Yeah, but I I think My it gives question. us the opportunity to 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 really focus on ourselves and and realize that you know healthiness is is a is a primary piece of of being functional in the world. Yes, and so I wonder if this might be a segue a segue into in your work talking about the psychotherapy of authentic relationships and personality sure. for sure, adults. Absolutely. Can you share with our listeners some about this? Sure. I mean, I'll, t I'll talk about what I, what I do and kind of how I yeah. think about therapy and, and kind of what I, what I, what I've developed and, you know, um, so, you know, we know that when our patients come to us, they're presenting a problem, they report a symptom, you know, they generally share a feeling or, uh, difficulty in their life and they're un that they're unhappy with. And, you know, rarely today due to, you know, finances, due to insurance issues, due to all sorts of things, do we have patients just come to therapy to explore themselves and, and drop into a traditional psychotherapy. So we know that mm -hmm. 
patients come to us with a problem, um, ultimately depending on the assessment and depending on all the, the factors, um, a psychotherapy begins. Um, patient wants to feel better. You know, many times patients have no idea really what psychotherapy is, but, um, you know, they ask a lot of questions, you know, why do I need to pay you to talk to you? I can talk with my friends. I can go online. I can, you know, uh, I can chat. I can do all sorts of things. And um, I think that when they really understand what therapy is, it kind of facilitated me in developing a way to explain to patients, you know, how effective it truly is. So I see psychotherapy as another relationship, a microcosm in one's life. Um, from the yeah. first point of contact, you know, a relationship starts to d develop with our patients. And, you know, from that moment on, at least for me, the first time I speak to somebody on the phone um, and, and connect, there's a reparative healing corrective process that happens when they work with me. I think that yeah. in some ways, apropos to what we were just talking about, we're a healing force. And, you know, we need to establish and embody all the values that a good and healthy relationship requires. So from the, from the point of contact, you know, the ideas of respect, reliability, consistency, loyalty, communication, boundaries, positive regard, mm -hmm. hope, compassion, and the agreements we set for a successful psychotherapy, it's a corrective relationship. A corrective process begins and slowly we start to move deeper as the patient allows us and feel safer, safer into the deep territories of their psyche. Um, I believe, which more in the in you know older days, it was a different kind of focus that that therapy, psychotherapy, is a mutually beneficial relationship, and it's the only way a solid relationship can can develop. And essentially, what goes on in a patient's life in their relationships out in the world is going to show up in the room with me. And if we yeah. fix it in the room, it yeah. tends to improve out in their world, meaning a microcosm. I have a belief system with patients that I can't do the work without them and they can't do the work without me so it sets the stage for this corrective reparative process and that's how I developed the, the idea of a CRP or a corrective relational partner and yes. you know however we're trained all the years in, of schooling that, that we have if we are not sitting in a position aside from being qualified we have to be really good at how we have relationships because I said, think like parenting, it sets the stage for any corrective process to happen. So that's kind of the essence of, of how I work. And um, mm -hmm. once that's established, I, I kind of look at it as, as you know, um, a really safe kind of box. And I explain to patients there's lots of ways to get help nowadays. But I am a bit traditional where I believe that it has to happen in the room. I know we do phone right. therapy now and all sorts of things. But I'm, I'm a bit rigid around that because I think the traditional nature of a psychotherapy and why we meet in the office and why we we do what we do. It's effective for a reason, and, and, and that's how it works. So, of course, I'm flexible in lots of ways, but I think that there's a, a true essence that has to happen for therapy to work. Well, and I think for you, that's part of the boundaries that you create for in the environment and context that you're building and creating with your patients is being in the room. And your perspective is one of, of being in the here and now and being in the moment and dealing Absolutely. with what is coming up correct yeah. so it makes sense to you I mean, that you want them in your room a, yeah and i mean i have a, a a practice of about 45 hours of patients a week all reserved patients um you know and it's traditional in that sense but i also have patients that are on on the east coast that are in europe and so obviously we do more flexible things like phone um and you know facetime and Skype when necessary, but I, I I am somebody that believes that you need to see your patient um, live um, and and really do the work because there's so much that happens in in the therapy office. Um, but obviously, it's a sign of yes. the times so that we do what we have to do. But of course, um, I you know what else? there's no option, so um, we have to be flexible. But I think as long as we maintain the frame and and the ideas are understood, I, I think it, it's certainly been an incredible process. And, and um, so I think the corrective relationship is, is, is really the root of it all.
So in, in preparing to speak with you today, Dr. Richmond, I was tossing this idea around last night and as I went on the jog earlier and wanted to get your thoughts. And because sure. in my work, I, I often see people getting kind of stuck in this unconscious process or shadow process where they are living between, um, say, this place from within themselves of the wounded child and, you know, being in the wounded child space reacting from the position of their impulsive and angry adolescent. And, and I'm trying to help bring co-consciousness of the adult. Where's the adult here to moderate, to parent, to love and, and teaching my clients to really nourish and nurture that, that structure of a parent ego state. And I wonder how, if you, when you see this, how you handle it and such to talk to our listeners about the shadow and, and balancing our unconscious processes. Well, I come from a self-psychology model, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to speak to it and how I understand it. I mean, I think that's the work, and I think in the, in the corrective process, in the role you play in the transference, you know, the, the, the impulses and the, 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 the more kind of dysregulated parts of ourselves and that we see with patients and then developing a much more kind of ego-focused, healthy adult, where I think there's a lot of dysregulation in, in people and certainly now is there there's there's no kind of real sense of healthy separateness and i think that certainly in our generation we grew up very enmeshed with our parents and and you know not a lot of healthy separateness so i kind of have a a motto that we're working with healthy separateness and healthy connectedness and we see a lot of addiction obviously we see a lot of extremes and the work and why the process takes so long is the ability to tolerate discomfort and sit in the imbalance of these two states is really mm-hmm. where the therapy exists of how one develops, uh, I think, better executive functioning, a better ego strength and starts to, to understand what they're really working with and what perhaps trauma is and why it's so hard to tolerate discomfort and not find a quick fix. And I think that that's why therapy is such an incredible process because there are no quick fixes in life. And, and the answer to right. this is to learn to, to integrate these two states of mind. So it's very much like an addict, right? You have these extremes and in order to function in the world, despite sobriety, you have to learn to, to become malleable and, and tolerate what's happening in your life and tolerate the states of mind that that are working inside of us. And we can only do that through expression and through examining and learning to really understand all those parts of yourselves. And I think, I think that's what you're doing and drawing out, but you know, it's, it's a very difficult impatient process because people want to feel better. And sometimes yeah. you just sit and, and, and it, it goes on and on and on and on. But I think that that's where the mirroring and the modeling and the role of a, of a, of a CRP that, you know, you're certainly in, in the healing force, you know, that's where the work is because th- there is no quick fix. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I've, I like to hear you saying, speaking it and and couching it in terms of healthy separate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're either, you know, fearing kind of enmeshment on the one hand, you know, we have a loss of kind of identity and a loss of self. It's kind of like what's happening politically. Like if you don't believe in his way, there is no way. And then he becomes defiant and there's a lot of anxiety that's that, that, people struggle with that if if I'm not enmeshed or we do not have one thought process or one mind, then there's a, an abandonment or there's a guilt or there's a, a loss. And then the other extreme is right. And then there's another extreme that if I'm so, if I'm so separate and I'm so alone and I'm so apart from you, I'm going to stay self-protective and I'm not going to have any relationships and, and, and I'm going to isolate and there's that. And those are both kind of, I I believe, primitive states. And so healthy separateness and healthy connectedness all at the same time is, is an integration. And I think that that's ultimately where healthy personality develops. So that's why it takes forever to, to yeah. you know, a therapy process. Some of my patients are with me 18 years. I love that. Yeah, and that's, that's not as common 
certain insurance changes. I've always loved doing the long-term work also because you really get to see and facilitate a person's growth and change this from core wounding level onwards, I think. And, yeah, and, I mean, and the mastery. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I feel yeah. incredible gratitude. I, I have a, a practice and I, I'm sure this is going to sound right, but I don't take insurance and I, I never have. So I'm all fee for service based. So um, I always have been when I started 20 years ago. Um, obviously, it's it's grown from there, but prior when I spent most of my training in hospitals and institutions and I, I think I did foster care for a few years but um, when I went into uh, did managed care for a while and then when I finally took the lead to go into private practice I, I think I was defiant myself and I thought well even if I make two dollars I'm not going to take insurance and I've kind of built this this just really amazing business and and I think it's really only because of the relationships I have with patients and the way my practice works that I that I have I'm blessed with patients that you know come back and forth and and as I said my longest patient is 18 years my shortest patient right now I I think is is a year and um you know, it, it, it's really just based on the corrective experience and the attachment and the, the secure attachment that I think we're all looking for. And it allows for yeah. a, a balance in life. I was just about to say that as I'm hearing you speak, I'm thinking of attachment styles, which has been a big part of my work and, and different things I've written and put out there is uh, our attachment style, be it anxious, avoidant, mm -hmm. secure, or a combination of those yeah. underlies, how we relate to ourselves, to money, to each other. Can you can you everything speak about that for our listeners? Yeah, um, you know, attachment is everything. I, I think that's a, a, a you know, without getting theoretical, that's certainly the basis of of my you know my process and what I just kind of spoke to about the corrective you know relationship process. It is all pretty much based on uh, attachment theory. Um, you know, the idea is we're all looking for some secure attachment and how to kind of heal anxious attachment and secure attachment and, and all of those things, and certainly not blaming parents or family. You know, parents have done the best that they can and, and we have right. such an excessive environment, you know, right now, certainly with like millennials, that there is so much anxious attachment and, and you know, kind of, I like to say, overly secure attachment and, and again, not a lot of balance and and, and self-definition and individuation. And so I think developing, you know, that in the room and, and, and teaching people to understand what healthy attachment looks like and healthy love looks like and healthy functionality looks like, I think is, is the key. But we have to go into, you know, I always say to patients, we have to, we, we can't just topically treat this. We have to go into the pipes, you know, we have to, we have to, snake yeah. the brain to, to get in there to understand what we're dealing with and without pathologizing things. I mean, obviously when, when things are necessary to diagnose, we do that. And, but this is about an examination of self. I, I, I think that you can't really be successful in life until you really have the ability to think about yourself and understand oneself. And, and attachment style is, is absolutely the root of that. So for therapists, I think we are a healing force and we have to exhibit secure attachment and we have to be healthy enough in ourselves to, to not just be qualified. We have to, we have to sit in the room and, and I always say we don't want to be a weapon to our patient. We want to create a healing environment and a sanctuary to do the deeper work because it, it can be so painful. Yes. And I also like that you're saying to our listeners in, in the, it's kind of a, the reality that this work does take time. And there's this kind of illusion that you can wave some Palo Santo or incense around you and be healed and be cured. And it's just really maddening to me to, to yeah. be around yeah. that kind of thought because I, and I think it leads clients, patients to feel like failures when the, up again, when the struggle comes back up again. So I think practitioners that work in that way are doing a disservice and actually hurting patients and clients 
because it, it's setting them up to feel like they're not doing something right or they're resisting instead of a lot of the changes are people come to us for it's taken their whole lives to develop these patterns and ways of being. It can very well take a lot of time to undo that and change and heal and to give a client and patient permission to be in that space as long as they need to be. Is 100%. Important. I mean, the, the catharsis of it all and, you know, where are we rushing to? And, you know, I think that shows up as intimacy stuff as well when we make those interpretations that, you know, why is this so painful? Why is this so frightening to spend time with yourself? What are, what are we finding out about you that, that makes this so scary? And, and it's, it's really a, a, an incredible discussion. I was just talking to a patient before you and I started talking and she was saying, a young girl, she's, you know, give me the answers. How do I fix this? You know, what should I do mm. when I'm on my vacation? And, you know, I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day who saw a patient of mine and, you know, and, and the focus was on cognitive therapy, which, you know, I do some of, but I'm much more psychodynamic in nature because I right. believe that, again, you know, we have to look at attachment. We have to look at the deeper stuff. But CBT is 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 absolutely 100% beneficial, but it's, it's a topical, um, you know, fix. And... You know, and every time I, I I work with that, you know, the patient will ultimately come back and go, this isn't working. It's not fixing how I feel. And I am one of those people in, in the gestalt of my work. I, I do all sorts of kinds of things, but I still believe that the relationship and the dynamic work is the only thing that allows for change, right? A corrective relationship is the only thing that allows for change. And I think we, we are burdened today and this, this is to show no disrespect to to the quick fixes we have today um, that people want, but ultimately I think it always comes back to, I, I said yesterday to somebody that maybe my profession is going to be the only profession that really requires still a one-on-one -on -one experience in the room, you know, mm. 20 years from now when we're all flying around. You know, and <laughs> there is no quick fix to getting better. There's no quick fix when we're right. medically ill. You know, uh, a wonderful colleague of mine that I work with, a psychiatrist, he, he talks about medication being 25% of the battle unless you have a, a significant access one diagnosis. And, you know, it, it, it's hard. Relationships are hard. Getting healthy is hard. Yeah. And, you know, I certainly in my own life, you know, have spent the good part of, I don't know, 35 years still in my own therapy. And not that I, yes. I learn more theoretically, but I, I can't wait to get there every week because it's a place for me to continue to examine myself. And if you know me or any uh, students of mine or anybody I've worked with, I'm a stickler about we can't just be qualified. We have to walk the walk. And yes, how could Dr. we right? We have to walk the walk with our patients. So I'm, I'm very much about, you know, us doing our own work and, and tolerating the same process that everyone else is tolerating, you know? Yes, I could not have said it better. And I'm <laughs> the same mind to be in my own therapeutic process to, to be a top level practitioner and be aware of what's my stuff and separate that from my clients coming to me and just wanting to be a healthy, aware, evolved human being that's contributing good to this world. And, and I think it's a way to really clear up our emotional baggage, uh, for lack of a better term, and just really create our lives from intention and purpose as opposed to totally. defaulting old patterns of how we grew up, our predecessors, our culture, et cetera, and to really be a clear and authentic voice. I know you talk about authenticity in your work as well, um, which I like, that for us to be authentic human beings is important. Well, I think, it, I think it's the Brene Brown concept, right, who, who I absolutely admire and respect and mm -hmm. love to, to work with is, you know, the idea of perfectionism. Um, I, I think I have three copies of her book here, uh, Guide to Imperfectionism, and, and the idea that our society has so much pressure and some of the ways in which we grew up that created anxious attachment is this idea of perfectionism, and there's no such thing. None of us are perfect. Therapy certainly isn't a perfect process, and, and we're all on this right. mad dash to 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 fix everything and and it's it's a road going nowhere and as we learn to 
kind of drop into the imperfectionism and the humanity of, of who we all are. I think we become healthier as a, as a society and we become healthier in our lives and we become healthier in our relationships. And I think that that's, that's the goal. So vulnerability, you know, all the stuff Brene talks about, you know, and how she talks about herself and she's so, she's so organic or in, in real. I, I, in the old days there was David Viscott. I don't know if you remember who, who he was. He no. Was like a radio show on CBS okay. late at night when I was little and I used to watch it. He was a psychiatrist and he unfortunately passed away, but people used to call mm. in and he was so authentic and he, he just answered so organically. And, and I think that that's what patients need too is, is mm-hmm. to feel like they can, yes, you're sitting with these experts and, you know, we're trained, blah, 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 but people want to feel, you know, like they're healing that there's not shame in the room and, and we're all just people doing the work to try to find a, a better way of, of feeling every day. Yes. And that, that there's not mm. judgment in the room. So, yeah. so the person can, can really be their authentic self with us so that we can have that corrective relational yeah. experience. So the client, the patient can have that experience. It does take transparency and vulnerability that made me think about what you asked me a few minutes ago about the shadow and, and those yeah. two states. And the, I, I think that's where the, you know, the sense of imperfectionism and the shame shows up with patients is when they're, they're sitting in that in-between state and, and it, it's almost unbearable at times, which is, which is where, you know, our job is to bear witness to that. And once we allow the expression and we bring it into the room, it integrates and, and that shame decreases and there's a much more kind of functionality to, to, to how they're operating in the world. So, you know, I think that that, that is the process of therapy and why it takes so much time. You know, in the olden days we talked about peeling the onion, you know, we, we literally yes, are peeling yes. the onion. You know, mm-hmm. we have so many defenses and, and, and we're all just trying to be a little bit more malleable and, and flexible in the world. Yes. You know? And yeah, yeah, I do know. Did you have a thought? I don't want to interrupt you. No, no, no. <laughs> I was just listening to what you were saying. I was thinking about <laughs> me, trying to, me, me trying to do yoga and how ridiculous it is, but you know, I, I've, I've, I'm stretching instead because I'm a, I'm a spin fanatic and, um, and from sitting all day, 10 hours a day, I, I have a, a bad lower back and I've been stretching in, in the, in, took this like stretch class thing and I've been doing these stretches at night and I'm in so much agony trying to stretch that, that I realize this is not going to get fixed overnight. I'm going to have to continue to try to do yoga and stretch and do yes. all the things I don't want to do. We have more in common than what I knew. <laughs> I, I have been a spin instructor for 12 years for fun oh, no. <laughs> and experienced the tightness and lower back issues that I just heard you describe. And I became a yogi and been about two years actively with a really just involved practice. And, um, and now I just kind of work out for fun, whatever it is my body wants on a given day. Yeah. Today I thought I'd go running. My brain said go run, but my body yeah. wanted to walk. <laughs> so it was, more, it was more of a walk. I'm learning to listen and, and tune in to what, what my body wants instead of what I am telling it to do. So, yeah, and that's being flexible, like you were speaking about earlier, learning to be flexible, that your body's needs have changed as well. And you're stretching yourself, though you feel ridiculous or that you're not doing it well enough. But what a beautiful mm-hmm. metaphor for what you're teaching your patients and modeling. Absolutely, my stuff. Absolutely, that 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 you know, if I, if I can't do it well, I don't I don't really like to do it. So that's that's my journey that I'm working on. And certainly, as it comes to yoga, trying to trying to figure out how to how to look a little bit better at doing it. But it, it's torture for me. And but I know it's good for mm. me. I, I I feel you. <laughs> I'd much rather hang out in full cycle. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. But this is stretching so literally and metaphorically. Yeah, for sure. So what you know, so, we're we're all working the same the same struggle. We we you know, if we can all kind of come into that, maybe it could ease up a lot of the, the pain and stress that, that we're all watching on the news and that we're all going through because you know, there is there is no quick fix, and and I always say on uh, my my hashtags the real deal. You know, there there just is no shortcut. 
I like that. And speaking of your hashtags, can we talk about, because I've been, I've been reading it and following your new life rules. Oh, sure. I, I don't <laughs> want to miss that before we're done for our listeners to know and follow you on Twitter. So, um, like five years ago, I think, um, I was, you know, in uh, a part of my own journey and I was going through a very difficult time and I, um, I, you know, I, I, I write a lot, but I started to, mm-hmm. to, to need to kind of consolidate and, and create in my brain, like, what, what am I trying to say? Like, what am I working on? What am I dealing with? And it really came out of a personal expression, and I started writing these. I, I was actually listening to Bill Maher, and he was doing his new rules, and then, I don't know, a few days later, you know, I'm like, that's what I do. And, and I started writing these new life rules for myself, really. And then, you know trying to, you know, be cool and, and be a part of social media. I started, um, I think it was around the time my website developed. I started putting, putting that, having my IT guy put them on my Facebook and, you know, kind of do all that. And I started to, to get the most unbelievable feedback from people all over okay. the country and emailing me and, you know, God, these, these have so much depth to them. And I try to write them from a relational standpoint and I just kept doing it. I think I have like 500. I, I have, you know, we're trying to get it um, to be a book, um, but I don't really have the time to do that. And I keep writing them and I, I just, I find relief in them and, and I hope that people enjoy them and sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're, you know, I read them and I'm like, Oh boy, that was not a good one. (laughs) So it came out of, it came out of, you know, I'm like, wow, I must've written that, you know? So I, I write them like every, uh, I think I write them a a few every, every couple months. Um, every, every once a month I write them for the next month, but you know, I, I, I think they're just corrective and, and I, they're just fun. So, but it definitely came out of a, a time in my own life that that was very difficult and very painful. My father was dying. And um, so that, that's how it started. So now it's a thing and I don't, maybe it'll be more of a thing. I have, I have no idea. I don't really have time other than to write the new rules, but sometimes I want to write, you know, cases and, and kind of tie it all in, but I, I suppose I, I yes. will one day. <laughs> Absolutely. And for our listeners to know that your website is richmondcare.com, R-I-C-H-M-A-N-Care, C-A-R-E.com. And on Twitter, you're under Dr. Marr. Is that correct? Um, uh, at, what is it? At uh, Dr. Marr. At Melissa Dr. Marr. Yeah, hold on, I'm looking <laughs> at Melissa sure. Dr. Mark. <laughs> That's how yeah. cool I really am. And then my Instagram is, is under my name, Dr. Melissa Richmond. Well, I think what you've been doing for five years, it, it, well, who knows where it'll go. I had started on Twitter putting out today's thoughts about a year and a half, two years ago, and that's evolved into affirmations and mantras that I'm putting into a book on identifying core wounding through uh, an aspect of our astrological charts. And so I hope the book to be out by 2019. So I'm trying to carve out time. I know this will happen for you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. It's in (laughs) in process. So, but maybe for you even as part of your self care to formalize the five years (laughs) ago, that's really deep that you've been doing this work, putting out your, Life rules, new life rules. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So while I'm speaking with you, so I don't often get to talk to someone that works with addictions and dual uh-huh. diagnosis disorders, meaning substance abuse and mental health issues. That's such an epidemic in our culture in the U.S. Addictions, um, whatever. I do a lot of sex of addiction, primarily, though. But I, I, of course, I work. Oh, with, cool! Okay. Well, talk to addiction. us. Talk to us about this. Yeah, I'd love to hear more. Um, you know, sex addiction is a big fancy word for a real problem um, in, our, in in our world today. And um, you know, obviously, uh, the root again, I think, of attachment and intimacy. Attachment, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, same with, you know, chemical dependency and, and mental health. I, I am not one of those therapists that believes that it, it's strictly about um, a, an addictive behavioral problem. I think there's always a psychological component to it. Thus, the I do dual, as well. 
dual nature. So um, I'm kind of now in my practice. I don't really see patients that are, you know, chronically using anymore. They're, they're, they're usually sober or they're in some version of recovery ready to do the deeper work, um, you know, and get into, you know, the, the, the addiction issues and the underlying peace and family issues. So, um, you know, again, addiction for me is a big fancy word that, that embodies so much and the mm-hmm. topics of chemical dependency and sex, you know, obviously it's all interrelated to, to the deeper psychology of the person. But yes, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of couples work, um, a lot of couples work, which I'm, I'm really enjoying right now. And I see adults. I don't see children because my brain is much too complicated. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I would never put a child through that. My brain is is firing too quickly. Um, but pretty much, um, you know, addiction, sex addiction, intimacy, couples work. I do a lot of collaborative divorce. Um, you know, the usual syndromes that are appropriate and safe for private practice. I don't really deal with acute crisis anymore. Once in a while it happens. Um, but yeah, but our epidemic of addiction, my God, it's it, the opiate, you know, world and, and everything that, yeah. you know, in the recovery world, there's a lot of, you know, I know I've been hearing, I was meeting with a program last Friday and, you know, the, the ethical issues, one of those things that are big for me is ethics and boundaries and, and mm-hmm. you know, maintaining um you know, standard of practice and the standard of care and the mental health world and the recovery world has become so uh, reckless as well. And not all programs. I work with some pretty amazing people, but, you know, I, I think that feeds kind of like our political world that feeds the chaos that's going on and the mm-hmm. epidemic. Um, I think there's, there's, there's so much excess and, and, and there's such a lack of boundary and such a a lack of containment nowadays that, you know, again, I think these programs are are responsible for the kind of product and and patient that that they let walk out the door at the end of their treatment. And um, obviously patients responsible for their own work, but I think there's just such such a mess going on. So I'm, I'm very much devoted to to addiction and, and recovery and getting a, some kind of control of this disease. And, and, and hopefully I, I can, I do that a little bit in my practice every day, but it's, it's really scary, especially the opiate dilemma that we have. It is. It is. And, and when I think of addiction treatment and recovery, I think of it in terms of a relationship, which has been the theme of our time together today, that a person that's developed a primary relationship with a substance of choice. And I find that it helps my clients to destigmatize it, help them judge themselves a little less harshly to see it as a primary relationship that brings them certain uh, emotions. Yes. And so um, I don't do as much of that work as I used to either. It's it's tough work, you know, I mean, there's so yeah. much shame involved in it. And when a, a patient understands it's just a symptom, I, I have a belief system as well that, you know, in the way I was trained, symptoms protect us from what's really going on. Um, I think a, a professor in um, my master's program spoke of this when, uh, in an addiction class that, that you know, addiction create, is a pseudo-vitality and it creates, a, it becomes the central organizing principle of one's life. And it's, it's, it's strictly a, a symptom, certainly the kind of substance, again, even sex or, or gambling or whatever, but it, it, it speaks to yeah. the issues at hand that we're treating psychologically. But there, you're absolutely right. And I like that you always talk about stigma and you, and you talk about, uh, you know, kind of creating that safe space as well. And, you know, when patients learn it, it is a symptom and there's all sorts of stuff going on underneath it, it, it becomes a much more flexible um, examination and, and flexible treatment, you know, and there's not such rigidity. And I do not believe that 12 steps, I'm sure there's going to be drama from this comment. <laughs> um, I do not believe. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, that that 12 step is the only thing that can treat addiction. And, and I, I actually a... think that that is reckless as well. That, that there is no way that a 12 step program can, can treat addiction, perhaps behaviorally. I think it's necessary. I think it's an incredible self-help program, but I absolutely am one of those psychotherapists that will scream at the top of my lungs that psychotherapy is the only way to go to really become healthy. Yeah, and and I really I practice from a, a harm reductive a harm reduction perspective, Absolutely. viewing addiction as a relationship as opposed to a twelve step mm-hmm. model that works for some people to keep to keep them in abstinence. I don't know that it really helps them deal with the big underlying issues and components that are that are there that. Certainly yeah, but it's, for it's a microcosm again, right? Because they're going to go to meetings and they're going to work their program and they're going to have the relationship with their sponsor and their sponsees and their commitments and they're going to see their 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 style of relating and their and their attachments stuff show up again. So it's just going to show up in that model as well. So you know, wherever you go, there you are, right? And right. so the, the same stuff's going to show up. So it, it you know, the world is built on relationships or our relationship to everything is, is, is the root, you know, our relationship to, to, to how we, how we take care of ourselves every day, the relationship to how we wake up in the morning, the relationship to how we deal with stress, the relationship to how we, you know, walk into a 12 step meeting. I, I think everything is about a relationship and, and yes, you know, I, that's all we have. So if, if, if that's not the most important thing and then, you know, we, we deal with the source of that, which is ourselves, how could any of our relationships really be healthy? And, and you're right. And I hear today. under... Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 no you I, first. I, I, I was just saying that, you know, so if, if, if addiction is our only primary relationship and we know that that's going to fail us, then we're going to be left again with having to deal with ourselves and deal with the underlying ways in which we have relationships and what our trauma is around that. And, you know, there is no quick fix. A substance is not going to fix this. A, 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 you know, there's, there's just a long road to get to be healthy. So I think we have to hit it from all ends. And I think 12 step is, is phenomenal, but I do not think it's enough. And I do not think psychotherapy is enough if there's an addiction model. I think there absolutely needs to be a, 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 a self-help program and, and, and people in recovery. But again, I think it's all about integration and balance and, 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 you know, and finding exactly what somebody needs, meditation, mindfulness, you know. Yes. Other self-care think, practices. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you, the, the way to be happy in life is to figure out, you know, what you really need to be happy. And that's the first order of business to, to not feel shame about that and to, to go after what that is to, to, you know, this life is short. So to have everything that you need in life, I think, or a little version of that, I suppose, is, is, is the goal. But if you don't fix how you have relationships and treat that, I, I don't know how that happens. Right. So hopefully uh, I can be that model of change in at least my small little bubble and, and you know, help the way I help every day and learn as well for myself. So everything I do, I, I try to take with me and work on myself because God knows what we do every day is incredibly challenging. I hear you just really having unconditional positive regard and acceptance for your patients and in such a non-judgmental way, which is so important. So I just really see how you meet the people in your room with openness and with a desire to truly help and work with them. And it's really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's a lot of structure to what I do and and a lot of boundaries to what I do, but I think it, it, it's like a fence around our house that the environment has to be safe. And the only way to do that, I think, is, is with boundaries and with healing and with a lot of compassion and empathy. So, yeah, I try to, I try to present that every day. And, my- and when I don't, I go to my own therapy and whine and complain. <laughs> <laughs> The boundaries and ethics are important. And for me, I tend to be really accepting and not judgmental. 
week struggle has been criticisms and judgments of other practitioners that, that don't have the necessary training or exposure to boundaries and ethics because of what we do is so important and it, it's such a calling to with a lot of responsibility people's lives and personalities and hearts in our hands. So I just urge any healing practitioner to please take the time to, to nurture your ethics because what we do is so important in the world. Absolutely. Any 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 person in the in in the healing you know, world and uh, the sort I I mean, look, I think it, it's everywhere, you know, if, if, if somebody, you're working with somebody not even in the health world or the mental health world and, and they're not healthy, it's not going to be a positive experience. Right. But if we maintain healthy separateness, then it'll just make it a little bit easier. <laughs> it will. Dr. Richmond, I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you for Thank being you my so guest much. today. The time has flown by. Yes, thank you so much, and um, I appreciate you you sharing this time with me and letting me come on, and um, and that's it. So have a have a wonderful day, and thank you to your audience, and I uh, hope we can do it again. Me too. We can definitely plan it again in 2018. It'd be great for sure. For sure. Awesome. Take care. Okay. Yes. Take care as well, Dr. Richmond. Bye bye. Bye bye. That concludes my show today with Dr. Richmond of richmondcare.com, psychotherapist in Los Angeles, California. Please join me next week with another guest, and I hope you have a great week. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio. This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. Life's better with an auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards. That's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.